Hey, good morning. I'm Caitlin. I'm one of the pastors here at Emmanuel, and we are so glad that you are joining us for a little bit of online church. Well, hey, if you have been reading the notes and quotes sheet all throughout the series, you might have started this video today expecting to hear a little bit about prodigal sons and older brothers. And I love that story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15. In fact, I would encourage you, if you have a little bit of time this week, which I'm sure you do, to take a look at that story and to really think about it. There's so much that we can learn in that story Jesus told about the younger son and the older brother and the father and their actions in the story. So take a look at that. But here's the truth. We know that you need something more personal this week. We know that you need something that addresses how so many of you are feeling as we navigate all of these new realities that come along with COVID-19. The beauty of us being in a series where we look at what it means to follow Jesus as the way is that Jesus has a lot to say about so many situations that we face as believers today. Here's the truth. While this crisis that we're facing right now might be new to us, the followers of Jesus have always faced adversity. In fact, one of my favorite hymns, It Is Well With My Soul, has a tragic backstory. The hymn's author, Horatio Spafford, he wrote the hymn in 1876, and he wrote, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well, with my soul. That was 1876. In 1871, his son died of scarlet fever. A few months later, he lost all of his real estate investment in the Great Chicago Fire. Then just over two years later, in 1873, all of his daughters passed away when a steamship that they were on for a family vacation to England was struck. And when his wife arrived in England, she sent a heartbreaking telegram. She said, saved alone. It was on Spafford's journey to England that he penned the now famous hymn. It seems almost wild, doesn't it? It seems almost crazy to be able to write, let alone to sing, it is well with my soul in the midst of unspeakable tragedy. And yet as Christians, we proclaim that we believe, that we honestly believe that we can stand in the middle of trouble and trials and stress and anxiety and we can honestly say, it is well. Well, as Christians, in times of tragedy and trouble, we are invited to respond in the space between fear and foolishness. And if you download it and you're filling out the notes and quote sheet right now, you can write that in your notes and quote sheet that we are invited to respond in the space between fear and foolishness. We often remind ourselves, as we've already done in this season, that God has not given us a spirit of fear. And we know deep down in our souls that part of our invitation in times like this is not to live in a constant state of panic, like filling your cart with an entire pallet of toilet paper when you live alone and you only go to the bathroom maybe three times a day. And yet, we also don't want to err on the side of foolishness. We don't want to throw caution to the wind and we don't want to act in ways that endanger us or endanger those that we care about. I saw a Facebook post the other day where someone said, the Bible clearly says that viruses can only enter my body if I give them permission. That's not what scripture says, and that's not how any of that works. 
There's a space between fear and foolishness. And we're invited to respond with hope somewhere in that middle. And so if you have your Bible with you this morning, turn with me to Matthew 6. And if you don't have your Bible with me, the benefit of doing online church is you can actually just press the pause button right there and you can run and grab it or you can pull it up on your computer or on your phone. So in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is delivering the Sermon on the Mount and he's just gotten done teaching his disciples to pray and telling them to store their treasures in heaven instead of here on earth. And then he says this, Starting in verse 25, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his glory was arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for each day is its own trouble." Now, what Jesus is not saying here is that anxiety is sinful. In fact, the word Jesus uses here that we translate as anxious is only used eight times in all of Matthew's gospel. And six of those eight times are used right here in this passage. It's this unique word here that means something more like having this obsessive anxiety around really practical needs like food or drink or clothing. It's the type of anxiety that convinces us that God can't be trusted and we have to provide for ourselves. Now, if we're all honest with ourselves, we've had that thought at least once or twice. The what-ifs that fill our minds, they can be absolutely devastating, especially in times like these. What if I or my family get sick? What if I lose my job? What if I don't have enough? What if I don't have enough food or enough water or enough toilet paper? So Jesus here, he's speaking directly to those fears, drawing his followers' attention to the birds and to the flowers. Jesus is making a point about who God is. God is a God that loves to take care of his creation. And God's most precious creation, the only one that he very gooded at the creation of the universe, the only one that's made in his image is you and me. And if God cares about the birds who don't work for their food to make sure that they have enough food to eat, and if he cares about the flowers which were disposable and used in that time as fuel for fireplaces, how much more does God care about his most precious creation. The whole act of Jesus drawing his followers' attention to the little details makes this really important point. And it's this, that we have a good father 
who has proven trustworthy. The Bible repeatedly describes God as a father. And not just as a father, but they say he's a good father. Psalm says he's compassionate. Second Samuel says he's gracious in his love. Deuteronomy says that he literally carries his children up mountains. And so it's no surprise that Jesus uses this opportunity to remind his disciples that God is a good father and he's trustworthy. Here Jesus is telling his disciples that God is trustworthy in really small areas. I mean, if I'm honest, I sometimes forget that birds are even around, especially in the middle of winter when I can't see or hear them. And so often I'm walking down my street and, and I forget that my neighbors have planted flowers. But God never forgets. And not only has God been trustworthy in small ways to care for his creation, but he's been trustworthy in so many big ways. God was trustworthy in giving us community through his church. God was trustworthy in redeeming us just like he said he would. So when he tells us things like, therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? He says, for the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. And we can trust that God does see us and he does know us and he knows our needs in the middle of all of this. You see, a God worth our trust is worth our allegiance. The point of this passage is not the instruction to not worry, but it's the alternative that disciples of Jesus are encouraged to choose instead of choosing worry. Jesus draws his disciples towards what they are to do in light of all of the concerns that fill their mind. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Well, out throughout this series, we have been using this illustration of doors to talk about the next step in our walk with Jesus as we follow him as the way. And today's door is just as exciting as it is life-changing. As we align ourselves to God, we walk through the door of seeking first the kingdom. Jesus' kingdom for his followers it was more than just a hope that one day all things would be set right. No, when they used words for Jesus like King and Lord, they were making a statement about what kind of reality they were now living in. Faith looked a lot more like allegiance for Jesus' disciples. Well, throughout this series, we have been pointing you toward a book by an author that I love. His name is Scott McKnight. And here's what he says about what Jesus meant by kingdom. He said, by kingdom, Jesus means God's dream society on earth, spreading out from the land of Israel to encompass the whole world. In our terms today, Jesus was ultimately talking about the church and the partial and imperfect manifestation of the kingdom of God what this means is so important. When Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God, he was thinking concrete realities on earth. He was thinking of the church being the embodiment of Jesus's dream. And he was thinking of you and I living together in community as we should. So the instruction here, it's not don't worry. It's not don't be anxious. But instead it's seek First, 
Well, a few weeks ago, I went rock climbing at Vertical Endeavors on a Saturday night. And if you've ever been to Vertical Endeavors, they have two choices. They have these 50-foot walls that look pretty safe but still a little dangerous. And then they have these 100-foot walls that look really, really scary, especially if you don't have a lot of upper body strength like me. So these 100-foot walls, they look pretty tall. But I was hooked up to this system at Vertical Endeavors that they designed to be able to hold me. I had tested it. At the beginning of the night, I leaned into it and I had fallen once or twice from shorter walls. And I knew that this system that I was hooked up to, that it was going to lower me down slowly and hold me even if I fell from the top of those 100 foot walls. I could trust that this system that they had designed, that it was going to hold me secure and safely until I reached the ground. To be hooked into a system that you can't trust and to say, don't worry about it, is foolish but to be hooked into a system that you've tried before, to be hooked into something that you know can be trusted is wise. We know that we can trust our God and we can lean into our experience and know that he will hold us safely. So don't worry, but seek first kingdom community. Seek first the concerns of God. Seek first knowing him and being known by him. Seek first a greater understanding of who God is and what he's doing, even in the middle of all of this. Here are two invitations for us as people who will seek the kingdom first. The first invitation is this. It's to live in light of eternity. In this passage, Jesus promises his disciples that if they seek first the kingdom of God, all these things that they worry about will be given to them. And that can really easily morph into us having a prosperity gospel teaching that Jesus' followers, they're never going to experience anything bad. That anything we want will always get. The stores will always be stocked for us. We'll never lose our jobs. We'll never get sick. But we know that that is just not true. We know that following Jesus today, that it doesn't shield us from experiencing the results of a broken world. We know that this broken world means that sometimes our bodies won't work the way that they were designed to work, that relationships will break down, that jobs will be lost, that we will need things that we won't have access to. And one of the beautiful things about Jesus' teachings is that he taught his disciples to believe in a kingdom that was both here and not yet. There will be a day when all of this is set right. There will be a day when pandemics don't frighten us. There will be a day when empty grocery shelves won't bring anxiety. There will be a day when all the news is good. And in seasons like this, we are invited to remind ourselves and to remind one another that it will not always be like this. We're invited to hold onto a strange amount of hope in times that feel hopeless. We're invited to remember that just as God cares for the birds and the flowers, just as he knows what they need, he ultimately cares for us too. He is both with us and he is for us. And we're also invited to do something incredible in this season. We're invited to bring the kingdom here. This season, it might make us more creative, but this season won't stifle the movement of the church. The church has always thrived in seasons of adversity, and just like Spafford's own troubles invited him to speak truth into darkness, this season it's going to invite us as the church to shine together. There will be more opportunities for us to be intentional as we reach out to our friends and relatives who live alone. 
There will be more opportunities for us to creatively serve our neighbors. There will be more time to dive deeply into scripture alone or as a family to really study this Bible that God gave us, this letter he wrote us. There will be more time for us to listen to and more need for us to sing songs that push back on fearing anxiety and remind us how good God is and how faithful he has been. And as we live as kingdom people, we are invited to pray that God's kingdom would be on earth as it is in heaven. And we are also invited to be a part of answering that prayer. You see, this past week, something pretty incredible happened. Two of our middle schoolers and one of our high schoolers, they were planning on meeting in person together over coffee to tell each other their stories. They all feel called to pastor in some way, and they, they started this great group to say, let's encourage each other. Let's listen to each other's stories. Let's help one another hear where God is calling us now. When it became clear that meeting in person over coffee wasn't going to be possible, it would have been really easy for them to have been able to say, you know what, let's take some time off then. Let's get together after all of this passes. But instead, these kids, they got creative. And on Wednesday, when they were planning on meeting in person, they actually invited me to join them for a video call over Google Hangouts. To say that these students don't have anxiety in this season wouldn't be accurate. They're worried. They're facing unexpected time off of school. They're worried about their own health and their family's health. They're grieving time that they thought they were going to have for their friends and for sports. But they've grasped what it means to seek first the kingdom. And so as they gathered together, they shared some songs that have been helping them right now. One of them even put together a playlist and created a little website. They shared Bible verses that have encouraged them in this time, and they read scripture to one another. They shared prayer requests, and they all prayed together for their needs, but even more, they prayed for the things that their neighbors needed, for the things that hospitals needed, for the things that the world needed. They get what seeking first the kingdom means, and they are learning to live it out even when they're uncertain. And the truth is, is we've heard so many stories already from so many of you that are talking about how you've discovered what it means to seek first the kingdom in this time, to continue to connect and continue to serve and continue to care and continue to look out for one another. So may we all in this time not not worry, but may we seek first the kingdom. Pray with me. God, thank you that you are a God that, that means what he says. Thank you that you are a God that's truthful and honest. And God, thank you that we know that you can be trusted even in seasons like this. God, together as we worship in our homes and as we consider what it looks like to seek first uh, your kingdom in our neighborhoods and in our lives, in our circles, God, would you give us creative ideas of what it means for us to pray your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Would you help us to be able to see the vision that you have in this season, God? And would you help us as a church to actually continue to grow and reach out in this time, God? And so would you be with us in all of our fears and all of our worries and all of our anxieties? Would you hold those, God? Would you walk with us through them? And would you teach us what it means to follow you even now? In your name we pray, amen.